This is Upwell, a new podcast from Only One, featuring entrepreneurs, advocates, and leaders working to protect and restore the ocean and the planet. And I'm your host, Aaron Kinnery. This week, we have a special episode featuring an interview we did with Ambassador Carlos Fuller, the permanent representative of Belize to the United Nations and the vice president of the Conference of the Parties of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or the UNFCCC. The interview with Ambassador Fuller is part of a content series Only One produced in partnership with the Alliance of Small Island States to highlight the wide-ranging costs and impact of the climate crisis on small islands and coastal nations. The stories are part of a campaign to advance negotiations to secure the Loss and Damage Fund at COP28 later this year. Learn more and join the campaign at only.one forward slash loss and damage. Let's dive in. Ambassador, it's great to join you in your office. I was hoping we could start first with you sharing a little bit about your background and your connection to Belize. Certainly. I'm presently the ambassador and permanent representative of Belize United Nations. Prior to that, I was the liaison officer at the Caribbean Community Climate Change Center, where my role there was to coordinate CARICOM's uh, response to climate change, and in particular, uh, getting our 14 countries to speak as one as we went into the international climate change negotiations. Before that, I was the director of the National Meteorological Service of Belize. So my entire career has been in weather, climate, climate change. What piqued your interest in climate initially? my father uh, told me uh, when he was a young boy, seven years old, he was living at home uh, in 1931, and they had no idea about what a hurricane was. They, uh, on the 10th of September 1931, Belize was hit by a Category 5 hurricane. It uh, wiped out Belize City uh, with a 15-foot storm surge. The home he was living in was lifted up by the storm surge and floated uh, several uh, hundred yards away. He survived. In 1961, I was seven years old when another hurricane, uh, Category 5 hurricane, hit Belize City. At that time, we had a rudimentary early warning system, and I was evacuated the day before uh, 100 miles inland. So I survived, but again, Belize City was destroyed. So it sort of got into my blood, and so when the opportunity arose uh, after my graduation from, uh, from junior college, I was recruited by the Weather Service, and it became a passion for me. Can you share how, over your lifetime, you've seen the escalation of the climate crisis impacting the community in Belize? Uh, Certainly. So, as I said, uh, we have lived with hurricanes uh, from time immemorial. However, when I went to school uh, at Florida State University uh, uh, doing meteorology, we knew then that uh, a tropical tropical depression would take a a day to become a tropical storm, another day to Category 1, another day to Category 2, and so on. However, with the climate change, we are now seeing these uh, systems explode, going from a depression to a Category 5 hurricane in less than 24 hours. Uh, explosive development. Uh, we're seeing these hurricanes getting much stronger than they did before. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, we're seeing uh, really weird systems, uh, intense uh, rainfall events occurring totally outside of the hurricane season, uh, just uh, sudden onsets of rains that we had never seen before. How would you describe the connection between the people of Belize with nature and the ocean? Uh, Belize has, uh, Belizean people have lived very closely uh, with nature uh, for eons. I mean, the first people of Belize, the Mayan, live in harmony uh, with nature. Um, they moved uh, their agricultural uh, systems uh, every five or six years, knowing that uh, the land needed uh, time to regenerate. They would clear other areas and move around uh, as they saw uh, 
the, the nature and um, shifting with their practices and they would uh, always be able to return to a system in 10, 20, 30 years. So they've lived uh, with nature. Similarly, the Garifuna people who came from the Eastern Caribbean to Belize and lived uh, uh, off, off the sea. So they were able to go out uh, and fish sustainably and also uh, doing agriculture uh, on land and live very in harmony with nature. I recall up to the 1950s, um, a person living on our offshore islands, when they were hungry for food in the morning, they would walk out onto the reef, pick up lobster and, and, and cook lobster as a breakfast meal uh, because that's what they had available, uh, not knowing that 20 years later it had become a delicacy. Can you give us some examples of some of the communities in Belize that are most impacted by the climate crisis? Yes, yeah, so in the southern part of Belize, um, the communities there have been severely impacted. Dangriga, which is the capital of the Stankwik district, um, we call it the cultural capital uh, of the country. Uh, they have been uh, having severe erosion. The, uh, the primary school there um, is now, on, uh, the, the buildings are now underwater. Um, People were used to be able uh, to mine the sand off the beaches there, but that is now all underwater. So they have experienced uh, that area. As you go further south, uh, City River, uh, Monkey River, Hopkins, all these, uh, these uh, uh, villages along the mainland are seeing tremendous erosion that they've never seen before. So they're losing their housing, they're losing the beach that they had, uh, and all the way further south. If you move into the interior, to the northern part of the country, uh, along the border with Mexico, uh, these villages uh, get severe flooding uh, starting in June, July, August. Many of them have had to relocate uh, further away from the river um, and then set up uh, temporary communities there. And as the water slowly recedes, they move inland uh, back to where they live. However, that area is very flat. And so it takes sometimes weeks or months before the, the water actually recedes to the point that they can return uh, to those communities. Can you elaborate a bit more on this? How has the slow onset of the climate crisis impacted some of the industries locally? Well, uh, in the fishery sector, uh, it is um, becoming a severe crisis indeed because it is almost something that you're not seeing. Uh, sea, sea surface temperatures are warming uh, excessively in the Caribbean. I think this year NOAA has indicated that in the North Atlantic it, it is 9 degrees warmer than normal. So what's occurring there is that we're seeing coral bleaching. Our, our reef, which is the second largest in the world, uh, is getting tremendous bleaching. Um, it takes quite a while for it to recover. If temperatures uh, go closer to 2 degrees Celsius above uh, pre-industrial levels, it is quite likely that they will not recover. Because of that, these reefs are the nursery for fisheries. We will see fisheries migrate out of the region to cooler waters. Uh, it is going to affect uh, the coral reef, uh, the seagrass beds, and the mangrove uh, forests. So all these areas, the nurseries of our fishing, are being devastated and the fishing are migrating out. We are already seeing decline in fishing across the Caribbean, including Belize. How would you describe the spirit of Belize? I think we are a resilient people. Um, we, uh, we take hardships in stride. Um, we, we usually have been able to, uh, um, to address our concerns on our own. However, as, as these, different, uh, these different crises are attacking us now, and uh, as my foreign minister uh, told me uh, a few months ago, we need to address the, f the, the three Fs, food, fuel, and uh, fertilizer. 
So there are crises that are coming in from abroad that are affecting us, and we now need to look at other systems around us and uh, even across the oceans to help us to address these crises. Throughout our work with the Alliance of Small Island States and in communities across the Caribbean and around the world, we kept hearing the word resilient and about the resilience of islands in the face of this global crisis. I was wondering if you might share what the word resilience means to you. Uh, certainly. So um, Belize, has, uh, as I said, has, has, has lived with uh, these extreme, with extreme events before. We've been able to adapt uh, after a while. Um, however, the changes that we are now seeing are really stretching the ability of, of us to, re, uh, to be resilient uh, to it. So after the major hurricanes, we've been able to recover uh, from them. Uh, our tourism has been able to recover uh, after two or three months. Uh, communities uh, like Belize City have been rebuilt. Uh, a new capital was built further inland. Uh, and so we've been able to adapt uh, in the past. However, the multiple pressures that we're now under, uh, the severe weather events, the slow onset events, we're seeing uh, saltwater intrusion into coastal aquifers. So we've had to now incorporate saltwater uh, reverse osmosis systems in our offshore islands. It's really stretching the ability of our, of our, uh, our capacity uh, to, the, to, to adapt to these new changes. Uh, and unless we get more foreign assistance to put in these reverse osmosis system, systems in place, uh, to be able to move our people from the coast to further inland, teaching them how to, uh, to live off systems that never had to live before. How can you change a fisherman into a farmer? Uh, how can you change a person who used to live on, uh, on rainwater and there's no more rainwater, having to go to, uh, to, uh, to water from wells? These are all the changes that we'll have to teach people how to adapt to. Can you project a little bit into the future? What do you think Belize looks like 20 years from now? Uh, for Belizeans, uh, it's going to be a totally different uh, life, uh, life system that, that, uh, that we're seeing today. Um, some communities will have had to migrate to other areas. Um, so we're already having some projects uh, with the uh, International uh, Migration uh, Organization. How do we get people living on the coast to, to live further inland? Um, we're seeing migration from other, uh, uh, from other countries. The population in Belize uh, in the 1960s was about 100,000. It is now 450,000. So um, we're seeing an exponential uh, growth in population, not from the local population, but from people migrating from other countries where the system is even worse. So uh, we'll be seeing uh, migrants moving into, uh, into Belize. We'll be seeing the population from the coast moving further inland, uh, clashing for water, uh, for agricultural land and uh, for resources that we never saw that threat before. So indeed, we're actually going to have to have a change uh, in the way we are managed, uh, how we manage our water resources, uh, how we manage our agriculture, and even the um, urban centers, uh, how we, we manage these. What would you say to wealthy nations who say we simply don't have enough money to fund initiatives like loss and damage? Uh, I would tell them, uh, look at what you've been able to do uh, since uh, uh, 2019. Um, developed countries found enough money to deal with the COVID pandemic, to create, uh, to, to come up uh, with uh, the vaccines, uh, to use it to, to make their, uh, their citizens resilient and to share it with the other population. But that took a lot of money. That took the printing of money to, to, to create that to happen. And then we've had the crisis uh, in Eastern Europe. Again, money has been found uh, to, uh, to 
to provide the weapons for both sides of this conflict uh, in a short period of time. Uh, and so there is money available when a crisis uh, comes around that hits them. So we're saying, look, this crisis is not only hitting you, it's hitting uh, primarily the small island developing states first, but eventually it's, it will start hitting you uh, more and more. And so you really have to find the money now to assist us, to help you to find the solutions that you will need uh, in the coming decades. So indeed, um, we're seeing the um, more severe events occurring across the world, and we're seeing slow onset events, uh, uh, events uh, affecting, uh, causing erosion, uh, causing uh, saltwater intrusion, affecting uh, many aspects of it. Uh, uh, in addition, uh, we're seeing uh, desertification. So all these effects are, are, are really uh, pushing the limits of ability to adapt to climate change. Uh, and so uh, the systems that we're seeing, uh, uh, that we have in place, are, are being affected. Uh, uh, we're losing it. Uh, it's being damaged and it's being lost forever. One community in Belize, uh, Monkey River, the, uh, the cemetery is now underwater. These people have lost everything. So loss and damage is a real factor now affecting us. And we have to put systems in place to address loss and damage. Yes, we can prepare uh, to, uh, for uh, these severe weather events. We can prepare uh, for slow onset events. However, there are some systems that we cannot prepare for that uh, stretches the limits of our ability to adapt to climate change. So this is where loss and damage is now being incurred. And this is where we need money to assist these countries uh, and these communities to address the loss and damage that they're now uh, feeling. What leaves you hopeful? I think, um, indeed, we're seeing more and more people addressing the climate crisis. When I started uh, in the UN Convention back in 1990, our COP consisted of two to 3,000 people. We're now seeing 40, 50, 60,000 people uh, coming to our COP. We're now seeing uh, the New York Climate Week, the London Climate Week, uh, the UN General Assembly. We're seeing people speaking about the climate crisis now. Uh, years ago, um, there, was a lot, uh, there was a huge denial program in place, saying uh, many people denying climate change. Now, that denial has, has changed to, to, to not denying it, but to saying it's, other, it's somebody else's fault that needs to address it. So we're seeing the, uh, the, the, the talk change uh, from what was denied to who's, who is causing it or to we don't have enough money to address it. And how do you feel on a personal level as someone working on this, as someone who really has seen the science and continues to see in action? Do you ever feel frustrated coming out of these meetings? Oh, absolutely. Um, whenever I end a meeting on climate change, I am extremely, extremely frustrated that, um, that, many, uh, that all of us take our national circumstances uh, and use that as our, uh, as our uh, negotiating uh, uh, point of view. And when 195 countries do that, obviously we cannot come up to a solution. We keep forgetting what we are trying to address. And so uh, what I try to do uh, after a week or a month of reflection, I go back to where we were in 1992 and realize Actually, we have made incremental progress over the years, and after 30 years, we are making progress. However, um, we need to take a much more rapid action. We need to stop blaming the other person, pointing to other persons for not doing what they should have done 10 and 20 years ago, and look into the future. What can we do tomorrow to address the climate crisis?
What do you think we need to advance this work at a much faster pace? I think um, we need to have more uh, people see what is occurring in other countries. Uh, uh, take a point of view of, suppose you are living in that country, what would you be doing to address the crisis? So uh, when I come to the US, when I look at what's happening in Manhattan, and I realize um, this is ex an extremely vulnerable place. Um, the heating that you are occurring, that you're seeing here, is indeed unsupportable. Um, you have infrastructure where um, you had flooding uh, over the past uh, day or two that you cannot cope with. So you have a problem you, you have to address. Uh, and, and, uh, and you need to, to speak to your people in the, in the Midwest to see, hey, look, you're talking a different reality than what you're seeing here. And we need to be able to, uh, to, to, look, at the, to look at other people, uh, to, see, to look at the, uh, the shoes that they're living in, to address, uh, to see what their problems are, and come to a common understanding uh, of each other's problems. Ambassador Fuller, I wanted to thank you so much for your decades of leadership and for taking the time to share your insights and experiences with all of us today. I'll leave links to where you can find the campaign with the Alliance of Small Island States in the show notes, which you can find at only.one forward slash upwell. Once again, that's only.one forward slash upwell. This week's episode was engineered by Jake Bowles, research was supported by Ben Woolman, and our cover art was designed by Joanna Marcus at Only One. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And start your journey to help save the ocean and fix the climate today at only.one. For as little as $9, you can start planting coral and mangroves and removing plastics and carbon. Again, that's www.only.one. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Upwell.